0: Hey everyone, this is Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Into the Cloud. Today, we're joined by Edgar Fernandez. He is co-founder of EOS Costa Rica. They are a company that currently builds blockchain solutions for cross-border payments and data transfers, digital ID, public sector tech infrastructure, and supply chain management, really putting blockchain to the test across various industries and use cases. Through a company called Lackchain, they're also partnered with Latin American divisions of major financial institutions like IDB Bank, Santander, Citibank, and more. So today we're sitting down with Edgar to get a sense for where blockchain is at on the broader financial payment and transfer landscape, how it's being put to use and to what effect and then intersecting some of um, EOS Costa Rica's previous work during COVID around the supply chain. So, Edgar Fernandez, great to have you on. How are you doing?
1: Great. Thank you very much, Daniel. It's great to be here.
0: Absolutely. Real pleasure getting to chat today and source your thoughts on this. Uh, So, can you give us a lay of the land of where international blockchain and payment transfers are intersecting? Are there any major hurdles that are preventing the expansion right now or uh, just anything that's shaping that landscape today?
1: Yeah, of course. And I'd like to speak a little bit more to the Latin American context, too. I think it's a great uh, example of what's happening in in the regional context. and and the different forces that are played, different uh, jurisdictions, right? Globally, I think one of the biggest hurdles is that is exactly that. There are different rules in different places, uh, with different regulators trying to coordinate, and um, it's very very hard to try and and get to the speed of payments on blockchain uh, when you're trying to do that in every specific jurisdiction. I think what we've seen out of BSN network in China, right, trying to have a, a regional uh, tokenized fiat mechanism and a, in a, in a a a public sponsored blockchain. Uh, We have several efforts in in Europe as well, and ideas about uh, uh, central bank digital currencies uh, for something like a Fed coin or something similar in the United States. I think in in Latin America, it's taken more of a regional approach. And and that might be the case because if we really want to create a regional standard and uh, payments, cross-border payments in the region, it's going to be very, very hard if you have a uh, digital representation on a blockchain of the Colombian peso, the Peruvian sol, the Brazilian Rayai, the Mexican peso, and then everyone trying to create their own central bank digital currency. So what we've seen and what we've been a part of is really this regional effort of saying, how do we improve trade? How do we improve compliant finance, whether that's decentralized finance or centralized finance? while uh, maintaining sovereignty over each country. And the efforts that we have uh, put forth uh, with the, the blockchain initiative, which you mentioned at the beginning of the program is exactly that: is trying to become uh, a regional response in the terms of payments that, that respects every jurisdictional regulatory requirements, but also doesn't hinder uh, interoperability between countries and the ability to move funds quickly on a, in a compliant manner. So that's really the, the biggest thing we're seeing. The hurdles are um, trying to be specific to each jurisdiction. And I think the opportunity is the regional coordination that at least we're seeing in Latin America and in other places.
0: Do you find that blockchain is helping eliminate or maneuver around some of the regulations or hurdles that come from doing international payments? And if so, how is any of that shaping attitudes around blockchain as an international payment transfer tool?
1: I don't think it's meant to to circumvent anything, because really what you want is you want to be able to use it. And if you're able to use it, not in a in a black market, right? Not in right. just peer-to-peer trading that's happening in the Telegram group or a WhatsApp group. You want it to be easy and you want mass adoption, right? You don't want you don't want uh, payments to be something that is um, marginalized. And to do that, you need it to be compliant. And I think regulators are now seeing the opportunity. They honestly do see the opportunity in what blockchain provides, not, not only in terms of speed and efficiency, but also, uh, traceability and, the, and the, the tools that now are available for regulator regulator uh, around analy- anal- analytics, forensics, uh, know your transaction, not just know your customer, know your transaction, right? Where you really don't need to, to necessarily know uh, the end users, but as long as you know that the transaction's compliant. Um, I think it's really opening up. Um, one of the risks I see uh, is that maybe re- regulators might say, Well, this looks very similar to a foreign exchange market. So we're going to regulate it as a foreign exchange market. That might be the case today, right? Where we have several different exchanges, um, centralized or decentralized, um, that uh, facilitate um, changing one token for the other or one uh, fiat currency for the other, digital representation of that, be a, a stable coin or not. However, the risk there is that we're regulating for today. And that's not going to be the case three, four, five years down the road. So, I mean, just yesterday, we were talking to, to a regulator on more of a kind of a working group they've set up. And, uh, you know, they've, they were telling us how far they've come from really, you know, I think in 2018, 2019, from not really understanding blockchain, not really understanding uh, digital currencies to really get grasping and getting a good grasp about it and saying, okay, now we're ready to communicate what we think the, the right steps are gonna be. Um, but that's for today. And w- what we discussed is what happens when the bank itself lives on a blockchain, or, you know, or, or the insurance company itself is a smart contract. Like how, how, how is that regulation that you're trying to communicate today around payments, right, uh, that might work today, but in the very near future, you're going to be regulating payments to going that are coming in and out of smart contracts, not necessarily entities or users on the other side. And is the regulation or communication they're trying to give today future-proof in that sense? Um, and the answer is probably not. Um, so although we've made huge strides forward in being a compliant, regulated financial uh, tool, we're not yet there where it's now future proof for what's coming down the line. And that's the things like, you know, uh, a title change, right? Uh, If if I pay for a property in cryptocurrency and that payment is compliant, but is it legally recognized, right? And how is that connected to the transfer of title, Um, insurance contracts, like I mentioned, uh, legal contracts, and all the other things that encompass when the bank itself, right, or the financial entity is actually code that lives on a blockchain, not necessarily something that, that you can regulate. So a lot there to chew. Um, but to answer your question, it, it's not something that is seen as a as a, as a a way to circumvent. Um, at least not for people that, that believe that this is definitely a better way to do business. Um, but it's also not to the point where uh, we've really thought about what this is going to turn into and how quickly this moves. And even if you feel like you're caught up in the payment sector uh, and you're ready to regulate that, uh, what is that going to be like like in in a few years?
0: So with that in mind, if we look a few years out, do you anticipate that there's going to be large scale government regulation? incoming? Uh, and if so, you know, give us a brief elevator pitch of what you think that's going to look like and whether or not it's going to be future-proofed or more reactive.
1: Well, I, I can speak to our experience and why we joined the blockchain initiative. And just to give a little bit of context, this is a public permission blockchain that's backed by the IDB, IDB um, inside their innovation labs, uh, which is a arm of the World Bank and the largest development bank in this hemisphere. Um, And what they're trying to do, and what we're uh, helping uh, along with a a list, a long list of uh, Alliance partners, some of them that you mentioned already in the financial field, is to build first the the infrastructure layer. So how are we gonna build infrastructure as a public good? It's like building a highway, right? And who benefits from that? And that's what the the IDB and other development banks actually fund is, is infrastructure. Uh, So building the infrastructure layer of, here's a public good that everybody can use, right? Public yet permission, as in we need to know who you are when you use it. So you have to build in compliance and uh, regulation at the first layer. And then above that, you'll build who you are as a user or your identity, right? So decentralized identity methods since to know if you're gonna interact in financial services, we're gonna to have to know who you are, right? And that ID doesn't necessarily have to come from just a government institution, right? That's where verified credentials come in and seeing what what encompasses you as you when you use a public good and public infrastructure like the one we're talking about. And then above that, when you have those two layers, you can get to tokenized fiat money, which is a digital representation uh, on a blockchain in a public permissioned environment. So that's the way that I view this really becoming, uh, you know, smart regulation. Because you're not regulating um, by jurisdiction. You're actually creating the infrastructure and building in the ability to permission who is using resources and for for what purpose. And at the same time, having legal recourse to it. So uh, there's actually a, a, a commitment that you're, if you run a node on this infrastructure and you allow a certain transaction to happen, you're on the hook. And that's, that's very, very different to what you see in public blockchains where it's very hard to know, you know is, is, is the miner on the hook for validating or the proof of stake node uh, on the hook for validating a transaction that later became, you know, was identified as illicit or on a blacklist on an ofac you know list or um, or any of the other um, possible um, you know illicit activities that they mentioned even though those are, are don't represent a large uh, amount uh, they are the ones preventing this from 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 being adopted uh, at a mass scale from from governments and regulators so I think it's not going to be a massive government crackdown I believe I think it's going to be sensible uh, building infrastructure that allows you for this. It's, it's kind of like building a highway, knowing um, city planning and knowing that, uh, you know, we're going to have to build certain in, uh, exits and, and, and on-ramps and off-ramps that um, clearly are, uh, need to, to, to have some sense of, of um, recourse of, you, you know, if you're going to use a public good that's free to use, um, we need we need to make sure who you are and uh, and how you you plan on using it.
0: I want to intersect the Latin American region a little more, like you did earlier. Uh, but like you're mentioning, I feel like blockchain has a great opportunity to you know, in its decentralization, also create a lot of buy-in from different players and then create uh, a, a community of business support. So I'm curious how this extends to sort of a national level and broader business communities per country. Do you think that investing and really committing energy and resources to building a, a public blockchain infrastructure to connect countries like Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Mexico, Peru, Bolivia, Guatemala, Ecuador, I mean, there's so many options, right? The Latin American region is, is large. Does building a public infrastructure to connect these uh, these different countries help foster a more united business community in the Latin American region? And if so, what are some opportunities for collaboration that blockchain could enable between these business communities?
1: Yeah, great question. And and it definitely becomes more efficient because if we're not building uh, a collaborative, coordinated public infrastructure between the regions, then what we're doing is we're building them specific to each country. And that's gonna duplicate um, it's it's building more walled gardens, right? It's kind of saying like, like uh, Chile should have their own uh, intranet that doesn't really connect with the rest of the, of, of the global uh, uh, network, right? It just doesn't make much sense. And that's actually what we've we kind of seen in blockchain or the beginning of it. It's saying, okay, well, uh, Argentina should have their own blockchain authority and then uh, Mexico should have their own uh, network uh, built on different protocols, et cetera. Um, I think building regional one allows us to be more efficient with the resources we 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 use um and two it it definitely fosters coordination and collaboration and and a, a a better an easier more efficient way to transact goods and services between a region so you know we used to call these trading blocks right um and uh trying to lower tariffs and lower duties between and and um Uh, Bureaucracy paperwork that you need to do in order to import export goods between regions, move in and out, uh, whether that's uh, labor capital or goods um, in and out of regions. Building a common infrastructure that is compliant in each one of those regions respects the sovereignty of each one of those countries um, will definitely improve the, the economic activity that happens between those because it's more efficient in, in the way that it's built from the ground up. Uh, one specific example is already a pilot program on um, the blockchain network, which allows for the coordination between custom agencies. So uh, there's a, 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 a mass amount of data of sharing of what entities are, are, are already pre-approved uh, to do import export business in the logistics set- sector or in the supply chain. And these lists are being interchanged by custom agencies all the time. If we can have real time auditing uh, with real verified uh, credentials of where these um, lists and entities are being updated, that that can expedite the process of uh, safe um, custom and border patrol uh, for goods and services that are coming in and out of the country. So that's just one way where governments can coordinate on uh, public infrastructure and allow them to increase their economic activity between each country.
0: All right, Edgar, I've got one main question left for you, but I wanna highlight some of uh, EOS Costa Rica's work in the supply chain. Uh, I know that international supply chains across various industries experienced uh, stoppages and shortages during the pandemic. I'm curious how blockchain assisted in some of those challenges uh, specifically, around dealing with some of the blood supply challenges we saw during COVID, I know EOS did a lot of work there as well. So, give us uh, you know some of a timeline of that work and why blockchain intersects well with this world.
1: Yeah, um, uh, thank you for for, for asking about our, our project. Yeah, we we we, um, we built a system called LifeBank, which allows and provides an incentive for blood donation. So, we create a virtuous cycle of value between blood donations, blood donors. Uh, donation centers and local businesses. And what we saw at the beginning of the pandemic was clearly a sharp drop in the donations, blood donations at a time where blood donations were were, uh, always needed. There's always a demand, uh, especially during a health crisis and also a drop in uh, economic activity, uh, especially around local communities. So what we used uh, blockchain for was how can we provide a donation receipt it doesn't have a monetary value, but it has a value in the community that it's given. So you as a blood donation, uh, a blood donor, if you're eligible, could go to a donation center. You'd, you'd complete the paperwork and fill out all the personal information that you have for that specific uh, donation center. You'd receive a blockchain account that has none of your personal information, and you'd receive a token that represents that donation. What, what's very interesting about that is that you now, that that blood donor now has a blockchain account that is uh, that verifies that you're over 18 and that you're an eligible blood donor without having any information about you not at your name not your age anything just because and also that you're not a robot right that you're a real person because as we know fake accounts or spammers or or bots can't donate blood so clearly that's a human verified blockchain account You receive a blood, uh, 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 what we call a life token. And with that, you can then go to your local community with local participating businesses we call sponsors and interchange that token for a discount on services, for a free coffee, for a, a discount on your oil change, whatever that specific sponsor gives value to blood donors in that community. And so we're not necessarily paying for blood donors, right? We're just providing an incentive. And the incentive is the same local business. And now you'll have a user that says, I'm going to support that local business because they support blood donors. I can't can't donate blood because either I have a a condition or I have a pre-existing condition, or I'm just not eligible, but I will support blood donation by shopping at this business that does give discounts to people that do donate blood. And there's no monetary value, right? Because it could easily be a free coffee at a, at a coffee shop, or it could be um, a discount at a pharmacy, right? Um, and what we saw there is using blockchain, not in payments, but in creating a virtuous cycle, a local economy um, that's based on uh, people's incentives, but the confidence that, that blockchain does give you to, to make sure that you're not being um, fraudulent and that you're not duplicating these receipts and that uh, sponsoring businesses or blood donors aren't being defrauded when they enter into this system.
0: All right. Edgar Fernandez, co-founder of EOS Costa Rica. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Into the Cloud. Uh, If folks want to find out more about EOS Costa Rica, how can they do so?
1: Please visit us at eoscostarica.io. If you are a developer of blockchain or want to know more about that, we also have uh, guide.eoscostarica.io. we have a lot more of technical documentation there. We're always looking to uh, to build the amount of developers out there. So please uh, look, look out for us. Thank you very much, Daniel, for having us on.
0: Absolutely. Edgar, thanks again. We'll chat again soon.
1: Thank you.